I've started this podcast series because I want to try and explain to myself as much as anyone else what it means to live by and through words and how it is they bring me comfort and solace and why it is I write every day because I must. It's a compulsion. We write because we want to share the words that travel through us and we read because we want to be joined up to others. We read because we don't want to be alone. A reading life, a writing life. With writer and teacher Sally Bailey. Produced by Andrew Smith. A little robin in the tree, chirruping away. He is there almost every day. He seems quite pleased at how mild it is. It's extraordinary to be so close to a little robin. I can see his beak moving. He seems very happy with the weather. We say robins are red, but they're not. They're actually deep orange, almost like rusty orange on their breasts. The same colour as my floor, actually. Looking down now at my boat floor, which is sprinkled with dry autumn leaves, dark brown, light brown, bronze-covered leaves. They keep wafting in through the windows and through the open door. But I quite like living with leaves. I was trying to clean them up assiduously, but I decided, what's the point? Let them come in. I used to be able to walk around my boat on the gunnels, G-U-N-N-E-L-S, like a ship's cat. You have to have your claws well sharpened. You have to be able to cling with your claws to the side. I used to be able to do that very well. I wonder if I still can. There's often a siren going off in Oxford now, I've noticed. Ambulances crossing Donington Bridge Road. Ooh, I can see that the little robin has just visited the shed and is playing in the eaves. He was just on my scooter. There he is. He's, new, he's got a new playhouse. It's his bird Wendy house. Somewhere else to, to practice hopping about. As he is now, he's on the floor. I do a lot of window gazing. Letting nature take over. Silence. Why are we so afraid of silence? Our world is very loud and very shrill. That's another reason for beginning this podcast. I want to be able to share slow thinking, slow reading, close reading, a place to allow thoughts to form and emerge slowly. So I'm just doing a little inspection of my patch of land 
in front of my boat. My neighbours have been kindly digging up what might become a little meadow garden. This is a meadow that we live on here and my part of land was shockingly neglected. Just weeds really. They've cleared back the weeds and moved away the rotten logs and I can see the beautiful, beautiful lime green Indian bean tree. That's what we think it is. It's either that or a foxglove tree. Whichever takes your fancy, I suppose. But it's a magnificent thing. And I have a little shed emerging in front of me, recycling wood and corrugated iron from a shed that was here before. Thinking a bit now of um, Henry David Thoreau and his experience of building a home on Walden Pond the east coast of America. Feeling very Henry David Thoreau today, the man who went and lived, so he claims, completely in isolation for a year. In fact, he had neighbours like I do. He had neighbours quite close by, less than a mile away, I think, maybe half a mile. I can't exactly remember the measurements, but he was always measuring how far he, how far he was from neighbours. And I, I do believe neighbours are vital to our survival as a species. I know that myself very well at the moment having not been very well for various complex reasons, I rely upon my neighbours to help me and I couldn't build a shed such as this. Wonderful, wonderful to see it emerging. So today I'm having a visitor, podcast maker, documentary maker, Andrew Smith. Andrew and I have been in conversation by email and telephone about books and the relationship between our reading life and our writing lives and the way that we live. You know, how does reading affect the way that we live in the world, the choices we make, the thoughts we keep in our head? So I said to him, I gave him some homework and started treating him like one of my students. I'm afraid everybody becomes one of my students eventually. <laughs> so Andrew's got some homework. He's going to be reading, and he has read, I think, Why Does Tragedy Give Pleasure? by a tremendous critic called A.D. Nuttall. Why is it that we are so attracted to sad material, sad songs, sad poems, tragedy? Why do we like and prefer tragic stories? And I think it's one of the it's one of the great questions to, to ask. So my name's Andrew. I make documentaries for a living. And I'm a, a podcast producer. And I'm on my way to meet Sally. Sally's a writer and a teacher. And she wrote these extraordinary memoirs about her childhood. She experienced an extremely difficult dysfunctional, isolated, neglected childhood. Um, but she's written about how she escaped into the world of literature, how books and stories uh, helped her, fortified her, and helped her envisage future possibilities. She sent me her directions. She sent me the directions that she sends to her students. So I'm trying to find out where she lives. not that easy to find actually but 
You have to walk down, I've just gone over two humpback bridges. Uh, okay, I'm actually lost. <laughs> okay. I might have to go back and retrace my steps. Hello! Hi! Hello, Andrew. Did you find it all right? Not really. I got a bit lost. I apologise for my directions. They are also a bit mythic, I think. I'm sure it was actually me just being an idiot, but I did wonder whether perhaps it was some kind of test that you set your students. I don't know. Well, actually it is. It's a bit like a fairy tale. They've got Hansel and Gretel going through the woods looking for clues. So can I come in? Okay. Okay. Whoa! I'm standing on a box. Is that all right? That's fine. All of your life's valuables are in that box. Well, I didn't do it very elegantly, I think that's great. but I did get in. <laughs> you had a nice little wobble and a tilt there. Very good, very good. Um, of course, the boat does sometimes wobble and tilt. You managed to do that without any assistance from the river. <laughs> yeah, I'm not very athletic and I'm not very balletic, <laughs> but I am getting old. So this is my home, this vessel, this boat of mine. It's called Kerrion, by the way, which means beloved in Welsh. But if you look on the wall over there, Andrew, you'll see these wonderful outlines, which I call boat cinema, where the trees and the leaves and the light captures shape. And then um, it creates a sort of a cinema scape. At least in my mind it does anyway, depending on where the light falls through the windows. And then it just shimmers just beautifully, doesn't it? It seems like this, you know, we're on this beautiful narrow boat now. In itself, it's a sort of contained space where you've actually perhaps got rid of a lot of things that we don't need. You've sort of narrowed things down to a narrow boat. It's almost like this boat has become your machine for thinking, for reading, for writing. Yes, I think that's right. I think the enemy of writing and of thinking, of coherent writing and thinking or reading, is distraction. The life that takes me away from this contained space. Six and a half feet by 45 and a half feet. And as soon as it becomes too cluttered, or I feel almost intuitively or instinctively there are too many objects in this space, I have to eliminate them. Because the, the objects I need, need to come out of my mind and I need to find my own way of positioning those objects without being distracted. So we spoke on the phone and brilliantly, you actually sent me some homework. So actually, who, who was A.D. Nuttall? So he was, a, he was a critic and an academic based at New College in Oxford and regarded as one of the great teachers and one of the great critics of his generation. I would also say one of the great critical writers because you can have thoughts but not necessarily know how to express them. And I think in the, 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 the text that you looked up or the chapter I sent you, I managed to send you a chapter, I think, Why Does Tragedy Give Pleasure? He gives us some answers or he starts to suggest why it is we enjoy sad literature, sad songs, sad plays, bodies on stage. Why do we somehow derive, I'm not going to say joy, but satisfaction maybe from seeing that many bodies at the end of Hamlet lying about. And there's this particularly alluring quotation. We send our hypotheses ahead an expendable army and watch them fall. Insofar as we sympathise, we experience the dying, but of course we do not die. The human race has found a way, if not to abolish, 
than to defer and diminish the Darwinian treadmill of death. So this sentence, we send our hypotheses ahead, an expendable army, and watch them fall. So the expendable army, the hypotheses, are fictional characters that we're reading? Yes, I think that's probably correct. It's those characters that we attach to from fiction or from plays, from drama, from perhaps from paintings even, but certainly from our reading lives, yes. Those characters that we perhaps adopt as our own and make our own, that we internalise, whose voices we can perhaps hear inside our own mind, through whom we start to speak, whose attitudes and poses and ideas and philosophies on life we start to integrate into our own. And I think that's what all readers do. And somehow characters in fiction or in plays or perhaps in film or art of some kind do the difficult emotional labour for us. It's a, it's a dress rehearsal for the real thing, isn't it? There's this constant need to be practising the thing that might happen, the worst thing that could possibly happen. But I don't know about you, but I, I'm constantly playing out scenes in my mind. It's how I write, but it's also how I visualise difficult things. I've had to have a lot of hospital appointments recently and I practice visualising them before I go, partly because I find time and space coordination more difficult and moving more difficult, but also because it's a place of chaos. And so what I do is, the hospital is a place of chaos, so what I do is I order the scenes in my mind in a, in a fictional order or a dramatic order and then I imagine myself playing it out. So yeah, I've been diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. Um, at the moment we think it's MS with transverse myelitis, which just means inflammation of the spine. Unfortunately, one of the clinical realities, the, the, the physical realities, unavoidably, the case is that my walking deteriorated almost immediately overnight and it's now deteriorating very rapidly. Um, my sight is going and my hearing is going um, and my uh, my speech sometimes goes and my, unfortunately my word brain goes, my cognition and my functional memory. I'm just so sorry to hear about your diagnosis and what you're going through. Thank you. I think we are still getting to the bottom of what it is. So a lifetime of reading and thinking about things and inhabiting these fictional works you think has helped fortify you in the face of what you're facing now? Absolutely it has, yeah. I suppose I've been philosophising privately about death um, and oddly I'm, I'm quite okay with it. I think on some deep level as a child I was planning lives ahead so I think that the first... The first encounter with another life was Miss Marple, Jane Eyre, David Copperfield. And now I see it, they, they're all characters that have some relationship to the supernatural, to the afterlife, to ghosts. Back to Nuttall, he says here, doesn't he? He says that um, there's a sort of death game being played in art, a game in which the muscles of psychic response, fear and pity are exercised and made ready. And you asked me, Andrew, why it is we like sad stories, why we like to sink our feet down into, you know, the mud of melancholy, so to speak. And I think because it's very enriching, I think there's a strange way in which actually it's uplifting <laughs> to know that this is an experience that will arrive and we might as well do it now here through poetry. I think if it's done through poetry and song, you mentioned sad songs. 
I personally think that the reason we enjoy sinking our, our, you know, our feet and our mind down into the, you know, the mud of melancholy, which is going to be my metaphor for it today, is because it's, it, it makes us feel that that experience has been had so many times by others that it's almost become um, de rigueur, you know, just, just an ordinary, it's an ordinary experience. And I, I think, to be honest, that structure is very deeply embedded in my imagination. So perhaps that is why I'm not afraid of dying. Thank you for listening to A Reading Life, A Writing Life. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please like it, give us a review, or mention us to friends or on social media. Thank you.